Wilson, like a cork in the ocean over his head. Marking contest over the top, Subic's great grab. Across the ground, bam, in comes Donny Wurzlow. Inside 50, McGovern, McGovern, what a play. Sheik needs to be in perfect years. The Eagle has landed for the Premiers in 2018. G'day everyone, welcome to the West Coast Eagles Big Footy Podcast for another week. I'm your host Honey Badger 35 Coming up on this week's show, we'll recap the Eagles' regularly scheduled beatdown in Sydney, look at the waffle results and assess where the club stands as we head into the bye week. Joining me to do so, it's a pair of familiar faces this week. First up, please welcome Miguel Sanchez. How are you? Hello, yes, I'm still here. I'm still around. For better or for worse? At, at the moment, it's for worse. Yeah, pretty solidly for worse at the minute. We'll get into that in just a moment, but also joining us to do so. Please welcome Mr. KK. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Disappointing uh, weekend for the football, but maybe it's a good chance to have a bye. Yeah, the bye certainly came at a good time. Had a fair bit of momentum going for a while there, and then it all came to a screeching halt. So, look, let's not mess around. Let's get right into it, and we will assess the fallout from the weekend. West Coast Eagles, 10 goals, 11-71, were defeated by Sydney, 18-8-116. We're here again. It's another defeat at the SCG, this time by 45 points. An absolute disaster. Much like the Adelaide game, Sydney got a few early goals on the board, and then much like the Adelaide game, we pegged them back and took the lead in the first quarter. And I was sitting there thinking, all right, look, it was not an optimal start, but sort of a little bit back to business as usual, and we've seen the Eagles do this over the last few weeks. Uh, turns out I was really, really wrong. Miguel, what the hell went wrong after that point? Yeah, it was looking a bit like that. Um, I think the difference in this game is, I don't want to use injuries as an excuse, because Sydney had a fair few as well, um, particularly during the game when they were running out of guys on the bench, but we really did miss Hearn and Yo. I think. You know, it's our first and second from the best and fairest last year. Well, maybe first and third, but you know, two really senior players, um, really important in their lines, and um, that was probably the two things that were most missing during the game was the organisation down back, which you know Hearn has a, a big hand in, and um, just the, the grunt in the midfield. It's yeah, it was a funny game looking at the numbers, um, apart from the score and, and our inefficiency going inside forward fifty, um, we pretty much matched them for uncontested possessions. They had a lot of it; they, they controlled the ball a lot, but. You know, we our, our clearance numbers were pretty good. Our tackle numbers were low, but low for both sides. And the hitouts were even. So it's difficult to work out where we lost it, but there just seemed to be a, a real um, lack of energy. It almost looked as though the players had sort of mentally checked out for their buy a week early. It was certainly a tough one to sit and watch. You mentioned the intent and the grunt work in the middle. Obviously, Yo would have come in handy there, but you're right in pointing out, look, Sydney were hit hard by injuries as well, so you cannot put it on that. With the Yo one, you know, that his tackling numbers over the last few weeks, or the last month even, have been phenomenal, but Sydney out-tackled the Eagles 46-44, not a massive discrepancy. However, they also had the ball 105 more times, so we obviously had a lot more opportunity to tackle them, 
and we weren't in the position to do so, which was fairly disappointing and obviously led to the cavalcade of goals we saw all throughout the second half. KK, from where you were sitting, what did you make of the fallout of all that game? And was it something you saw coming or, you know, you could see it coming throughout the game or did you think we were on decent track until it fell apart? I was pretty pessimistic going into the game and uh, started off that way. We got back in front with three really quick goals and then it turned into a typical Sydney game where you look on the balance of play, it feels like we're not doing too bad and getting enough of the ball inside 50, but we kick into a clogged up forward line, just can't get a mark at all inside 50, and then they take it straight down the other end. Sydney's so much better structured for that ground than, than we are, and I don't, we don't really seem to have an answer for it, unfortunately. Yeah, it was, it was probably flagged as a danger game, and because Miguel said, going back to our last bad loss at Geelong, Elliot Yeo has been the catalyst for the, the turnaround in that form and that grunt in the middle. So he was absolutely massive loss in, in that game. I, I really think if he played, he would have made the difference. The, tack, the tackle numbers obviously don't count, count all the tackles we missed. And I really feel that's just a barometer of, of our team, that if we're ticking tackles and being able to hold them up, even if it's just causing a ball up and getting a stoppage, compared to falling off tackles, allowing them a chain of possessions. We just we struggled to stop that all day. So you touched on there when it would go into our forward line and then almost every time, seemingly, it was certainly frustrating from where I was sitting, it just seems to shoot right back out and into a much more well-organised forward line down the other end. Those uh, rebound 50s, I guess, from Sydney, the defensive rebound, that was the tail of the game for me. Um, our back line has copped a little bit of heat and I'll acknowledge there are a few times where Sydney took it straight out of the middle into their forward line and our backs looked a little bit out of sorts but the tail of it for me was a lack of forward pressure and an inability to lock the ball in our forward half of the ground so on average the Eagles do pretty well in terms of rebound 50s they concede about 34 per game and uh, on the weekend they conceded 48 that's obviously a massive spike so Look, we don't go in a ton to begin with. Maybe that limits the opportunities. But by and large, the Eagles are the second best team in football at locking the ball in their forward line once it goes in there. Uh, And yet, on the weekend, Sydney were just having all the luck in the world. Not luck. It wasn't at all luck, I shouldn't say. They were just knifing through us. They set up a good game plan. They executed it to perfection. And the Eagles' forward line was a mess. The entry was a mess. And the defence coming back out was a mess. And... uh, all in all, yeah, it, it didn't make for particularly fun viewing. Now, Miguel, we'll look at the back line now. We might as well. Gary Lyon made quite a concerted effort to single out Jeremy McGovern. He obviously didn't get off to a flying start in the game, but all throughout the coverage, they were singling out Gov. They were really sinking the boots into the back line. So what did you make of that back line group and, and how they handled the matchups, particularly Buddy, who once again got off the leash? Don't get me started on Gary Lyon, um, just to kick off, because... He was pissing me off that he's getting stuck into McGovern during the thing, during the game, saying, oh, you know, he's away from his man. It's a disgrace. He just wants to zone off. And then Aaliyah Aaliyah does the same thing at the other end. And it's, oh, that's just a matchup issue. He's got the wrong matchup. Anyway, okay, I'll get off that soapbox. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was a, yeah, it just looked disorganized. They didn't really know. They took a while to work out what their best matchups were. I, I thought it was pretty obvious that Schofield should have been on Franklin from the outset, but uh, for some reason McGovern had him. Yeah, Rotham sort of looked a bit lost, uh, whereas uh, in his previous two AFL games, he sort of he came in and didn't miss a beat. He looked like he didn't really know what he should be doing, um, and yeah, it was just a just a mess. Um, I don't, th- there's a bit of truth to what um, Gary Lyon and everyone else has been saying, and that you know, McGovern, you know, 
you know, if he's playing on someone like Franklin, he, you know, he's got to be responsible for his man. He can't zone off. But whether that's his issue or whether that's a, a team instruction, I don't know. But yeah, it clearly didn't work. Clearly missing Hearn out there, and um, be good to get Hearn back and, and Barras as well in the near future. Yeah, the issue there would seem to be don't match him up with Buddy Franklin. Not that he's doing the matchup. You know, he's, he's playing his role poorly whilst match up with Franklin. It's McGovern. You've got to put him in a position to succeed. He's the best in the league at what he does, but you've got to facilitate that by putting him on a on you know the right sort of forward. I, I suppose just to play devil's advocate, I mean Sam Reid had probably been in better form than Franklin going in, and he's also you know six foot six, so you need to put a quality defender on him. And you know, in terms of the guys we had in the team that can play on those guerrilla forwards, it was Schofield and McGovern, and that's it really. You don't know Shepard to be punching well above his weight taking either of those guys, and you probably don't want to throw Rotham to the walls playing against them. So you know, maybe they identified from the start that Reed was the bigger threat and they put Schofield on him and, and McGovern on Franklin, but yeah, it was a, a bit of a recipe for disaster. Mm. Yeah, well, look, whatever they tried certainly didn't work on the day. At the other end, KK, I've already touched on what I saw of the forwards and you know how, how poorly we were doing at keeping the ball locked in. What about the midfield and forward line connection? Miguel's just touched on Alira Lear. Our forward entry certainly wasn't spectacular by any stretch. We only scored a goal uh, 17% of the time we went inside 50. Now, in wins this year, we're going at 28%. In losses, we're going at 18%. So that midfield to forward line dynamic is something that, across the board, they really need to tidy up. So what did you see from the mids? What did you see from the forwards? How is that group, those groups combining to try and get us the footy? Obviously, it didn't work, but from where you were sitting, what, did, what was your take on it? Nothing didn't work. I, I kind of at times forgot that Cripps was even playing. He seemed to really get, get lost out there. I think it's probably two things we... We struggle with the, the shortness of the ground up there. Yeah, I don't know if players are sort of just getting in the wrong position because they're not really used to it. And, and we really struggle just to get clean ball out of the middle, especially centre clearances. Well, apart from the run we had on in the first quarter, that's really where we, we beat and we weren't getting um, good clean entry out of clearances and we weren't really transitioning the ball cleanly from, from defence either. So the, the kicks coming in were generally under pressure um, and they were kicked to outnumbered situations but they didn't really they weren't free enough to be able to to find a better option going inside inside 50. Um, I think it was probably more to do with the, the midfield getting beaten than the, the forward line having problems it was just too clogged up down there you know I, I don't know how much the forwards could have done done about that Sydney were really adept at slowing our ball movement and being able to get numbers back and that's really the key at the STG because he can transition from one end of the ground so quickly because of the short ground. And that's really what it was. They, they held us up in the middle and that, that caused them to be able to get extra numbers back and the forwards didn't have, have much of a chance. I, I thought Ryan and Kennedy were probably two of their best players even with, with limited service. Like Ryan tried hard all day. Kennedy took his opportunities, opportunities well, but he just had no chance to get free down there. Yeah, those two guys certainly can hold their heads up high. I thought, speaking, you know, obviously the midfield were pretty soundly beaten. I thought Redden gave his utmost at trying to resurrect that and, and inject us with a bit of grunt, a little bit of aggression on the interior, but it didn't obviously pay dividends in the end. While we're looking at that midfield group and, and a non-functional group in the clearances, at the stoppages, at the centre bounces, Miguel, Tom Hickey, Nathan Vardy. Now, a lot has been made of Vardy's game individually, five disposals from him. Uh, clearly not good enough, and he's been a bloke who's been out of form but backed in by the club for a little while, perhaps in absence of any other options. 
Hickey coming back from injury, I would say he was the better of the two on the day, but nothing spectacular. So from from what you've got there, what's your take on those two pairing? And is that a pairing that we're going to have to see again in the future? Do you think this game has put a nail in the coffin of pairing these two rucks together? I really don't think we can. Um, we're a little bit hamstrung, I think, at selection by um, you know, the Allen having his turn at being the undisclosed injury, and there wasn't wasn't really any other obvious inclusion for him to play that sort of you know, forward pinch hitting in the ruck role, unless they sort of threw Bailey Williams or someone in for a debut. So um, they're a little bit hamstrung with that, I think. But I meant to look up. Um, I didn't do my homework. I meant to look up before the um, before we started what our stats were, um, what our wins and losses were with that Hickey Vardy pairing because I don't think it's um, I don't think it's too flash. They're just they don't neither of them offer enough around the ground to um, be able to carry both of them. And you know, Vardy is in pretty terrible form at the moment. He's you know, barely adequate, I think, as the as the number one ruck um, when he's been paired with Allen and when he's backing up. Hickey he just may as well not be out there. So, uh, yeah, short answer, I don't think we can play them again. Um, fortunately, we may not have to because, you know, Allen's, we haven't seen an injury report, but hopefully Allen's issue is only minor and he's available next week. And then um, Nat Nui should be coming in shortly after that. So, um, yeah, hopefully we don't have to see it. But, yeah, I don't think we, I don't think we can carry the two genuine rucks if they're not going to offer anything around the ground. It would be a frustrating way for it to finish given how good he was last year. But his season, Vardy, this is, could genuinely be done if everybody stays healthy. You'd suggest that Hickey and Allen will be rucking uh, against Essendon and then Nat Nui set to come in at some point. Now, fingers crossed, everybody stays healthy for the rest of the year. That very well could be the last time we see Nathan Vardy this season. Yeah, well, I mean, last year he was he was injured at the start, but he was the waffle ruckman until Nat Nui went down and then he got his chance. So he's sort of, he's there out of circumstance, and you know, if we do have a fit list, I don't think he's in our 22. No, and look, in some ways that's a solid place to be, but in other ways he's, he's not an impactful guy that you can call up that you know what you're going to get out of. You know, Oftentimes when you send a veteran back to the waffle, you go, all right, well, he's a known commodity, and if we call him up, we at least are aware of what's what we're going to get from him in a game, and we can bank on that. But Vardy, I, I don't really know what he brings to the table at the moment. I mean, best of luck to him for hitting phenomenal form at the right time last year, but that looks like an aberration at this point, and it looks like the real Nathan Vardy perhaps is the 2019 version, unfortunately. KK, on Vardy, and also we'll move on to Willy Rioli as well, a pair of suspensions handed out from this game. So the damage not limited just to this week and just to the percentage loss. We're now going to actually lose players for the next week. Let's start on Rioli because I think it's perhaps the more clear-cut one. It was a sling tackle. The guy was concussed. With the way that the AFL rule, I think that's probably... Everybody at the time sort of felt that he was going to go. Uh, do you agree with that? And then also on Vardy, he's been done for a high bump. Now, this one I'm a little bit more on the fence about. So what are your thoughts on those two suspensions? I think you're right with the only one. Unfortunately, as unfortunate as it is, it's clear-cut, just like the Jetta one. You can throw all the, the arguments about the umpire should blow the whistle earlier and it doesn't happen, or the Swans player has some um, duty of care to himself to protect himself. But none of the rules specify any of that. So there was, would have been a complete waste of time if the club tried to challenge it. And I feel for Rioli. Um, it does seem to be that we're not really a, a physically aggressive team, but on the, the few occasions we do, we really do some damage and end up getting suspended off the back of it. Maybe we need to throw a few more elbows in the, the head that are insufficient force if we want to do some um, be aggressive. And with the Vardy one, I kind of think 
because he was on the chopping block anyway, the club didn't care to challenge it. Um, but in different circumstances, I think they would have, and I think they have a, a reasonable case. I didn't even think what was a clash of heads watching it the first on, on the replay. I thought it was a, a really good bump, and he did did everything he could to to minimise um, any illegality about it. And I, I think he's a bit stiff, but I also think the club was like, well, I'm not going to play him anyway, probably. So what's the point of wasting wasting time and money in a bye week fighting it when we can all just move on and, and take suspension? Not only are we not probably not going to play him, but you know, next week if we've got if Nat Nui and Allen do come back, then we'll have you know. Presumably Hickey and Allen rucking in the AFL, and we'll have all of Brooksby, Williams, and Nat Nui in the VFL. So in the VFL, bloody um, <laughs> in the VFL. Oh my god! Uh, um, oh yeah. So if everyone gets fit again, we're about to have a, a glut of ruckmen. So probably not a, a bad opportunity for him to sit out an extra week. Look, I will say this. Obviously, the the week's penalty can't increase. You know, it's only a financial penalty now for appealing, but. Given all of that, I would have actually taken it as a semi-free hit to appeal. I hate this sort of suspension existing in the game. I'm kind of on the fence as if I even think it's a downfield free. I don't think it was super late. This is a bad standard, but you've certainly seen later hits. So for that to be a suspension, I think I posted on the board this week that come finals time, they'll change the adjudication anyway. But if somebody were to miss a final for that, there would be absolute outcry and... You know, I, I'm still unclear as to whether the match review panel actually used precedent. I'm not sure if you're allowed to use other cases that were graded one way or the other in your argument. The whole process seems very unclear to me, but this is one where I would challenge it and try and get it on the books as, no, this is something that's legal, because especially with a guy like Nat Nui and these bigger guys that like to get physical, uh, it seems like you're penalised for height. We saw last year with Nat Nui, he was seemingly penalised for strength in a tackle, so... Given that Vardy was already on the chopping block anyway, getting him off for a week, that doesn't that's irrelevant. Who cares? I would have just been trying to commit this as a win to tape because I hate this being a suspension. But yes, the Vardy loss, unfortunately for him, is probably you know no big loss for us at the moment. Moving a little bit along, we've still got a lot of questions, and this is a disappointing aspect because the club was building five or six weeks of pretty strong momentum after a lean few weeks at the start of the year there. The momentum's erased, and so the club now has to go back to the drawing board and say, do we just chalk this up as a bad day at a bad ground that we don't like playing at? Or is this something that is going to really haunt us throughout the rest of the season, that there are certain grounds and there are certain teams that we come up against and we just can't get the job done? KK, is this something that's raised long-term red flags for you or just a really frustrating week at the office? Oh, I think it's just a frustrating week at the office and bad form to take into a buy. Uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the Essendon game straight afterwards, and we haven't historically done that well coming off buys, particularly in televised games. So I'm a bit of concern about that. Um, yeah, I think... I actually couldn't remember last time we wanted the SCG. I had to look it up because I had no visual memory of us winning a game there. Uh, so I wasn't too surprised by the result. And I don't think we want to put too much effort into um, the strategy to win at that ground. Certainly not this year. We're not going to place the in the final of the SCG. So I think just just move on and maybe look at some of the individual performances and individual moments to take the learnings out of that. So look at how the, the Vardy-Hickey combination worked or didn't work. Um, look at some of the, the defensive issues we talked about with, with McGovern, if there's um, certainly been, been learning opportunities for, for Rotherham in how to play in that structure. And, yeah, I think just focus on the individual stuff and don't look at the bigger picture of how do we beat Sydney at the SCG. It's not worth the investment. Miguel, where do you stand on that? Is this something that's 
you know, long-term going to haunt you? You're going to think that, you know, there's a big question mark around this Eagles side because of their consistent inability to get it done at, at grounds like the SCG? I'm not so worried about that as much as just the gap between our best and worst football at the mm-hmm. moment is enormous. You know, when, and we've seen it, you know, in the space of seven or eight days that, you know, we've, we've turned in probably our best. Hang on, I'll go back a sec. Who did we beat the week before? Doggies. Doggies. Well, yeah, that's, sorry, that's right. And we, we beat them by 11 goals. And before that, we had probably our best win of the year against Adelaide in Adelaide. And then, you know, we've turned around and turned up our tails and, um, and uh, gone down by, 45 points to an undermanned Sydney side that were three down on the bench, I think, for the entire second half. So really, we should have been, you know, at the least gaining ground in that last quarter. Um, and you know, they're 13th or 14th on the ladder, and they've got some key outs. And yeah, I mean, you can blame the ground as much as you like, and you can blame our outs as much as you like. But there was just a real lack of effort and focus, and um, that for me is the disappointing thing that we are far too quick to to go to water. And yeah, and the, the gap between our, our best and our worst is enormous. Um, in terms of where we go from here, we've still got, we've got some tough games coming up, but we've, we've got some cavalry coming back and, you know, we've, we've, um, we've got our home ground advantage and, and all that. So uh, we're, we're in the four at the moment and we should remain there, but yeah, we can't afford too many more performances like that. And particularly for the, the hit that our percentage takes because of it, that could be crucial. It's interesting when you talk about best and worst form because going back a few years, I thought our the evenness and the professionalism of our performances was a bit of a, a positive and a negative that we would we wouldn't lose many games against lesser teams and we got the flat track bully tag, but we we rarely had that extra level to go to to get over the top teams and that seems to have turned around last year and this where we've we've got those high level performances and want to flag off the back of it. But the flip side is that um. Yeah, our worst has got worse than it was prior to that. And uh, I don't really know which is better or worse out of the two. So I guess if you know the good, the top-line performances are there and you can produce on the biggest stage, then I guess that's the way to be. But you say it is a concern that our losses have been all really bad losses this year and, and percentage we're going to need to, to win an extra game over our rivals. All right, so moving on to the waffle now, and it was another game wherein the Eagles and the Beagles played at a similar time slot, and yet again, it was another game where the Eagles and the Beagles had a similar result. So West Perth, 11-6-72, defeated West Coast, 4-12-36, another dirty day at the office for the Beagles. Uh, Four goals, 12, another poor day in front of the sticks as well. Look, we've touched on it over the last few weeks. Results, not the be-all and end-all. We'd like to see some individual performances more than anything. And looking at the numbers, Miguel, there seem to be a few positives to take away from the Beagles at the weekend. Yeah, I guess so. The the fixturing's bloody appalling that they've got them both on at the same time. And the the weather in Joondalup would have been pretty horrendous, I think, on Sunday. So uh, maybe look at that for our poor goal-kicking, although it didn't seem to affect West Perth at all. But, yeah, a little bit to like. Um, Matty Allen had 25 touches by half-time. He only ended up with 34, so I don't know whether West Perth put a tag on him. Um, but, yeah, that was looking pretty impressive, um, particularly given that our inside midfield was getting carved up in Sydney at the same time. Yeah, Maston had 35, and what were his tackle numbers? I was just trying to bring the stats up at the moment. But five tackles. Five tackles or something, I think I read. He sure did. Which you know, is amazing for Maston, so... 
And if that's what he's been sent back to work on, then that's certainly very pleasing. Brooksby seemed to have a ton of it. Um, and, you know, for a guy that's six foot six playing in, um, in pretty terrible conditions for a bloke of that size, to have yeah, 22 touches, uh, 48 hit outs, eight tackles for him, um, looks like a really great return and, um, keeping the pressure on Hickey and Vardy. Although, yeah, there's that log jam that I spoke about earlier. Um, yeah, so they were the main ones. Um, Hamish Brayshaw made his return and yeah. made, and picked up 26 touches, so that's pretty pleasing. That's a really good one straight away in, in a return, you know, especially talking about this midfield depth and as we have over the last few weeks. To see a guy like that come back and, and make a pretty quick impact is really pleasing, yeah. And Francis Watson came back as well, um, had 16 touches, so I don't know how he played other than that, but at least he got through the game, which is good. You'll probably have picked up at this point, if anybody is even confused for a second, we clearly didn't watch the game. We're obviously going off the box score here as it lined up with the Eagles game. Um, but if you look at the votes, Maston listed as the Eagles' best, Foley interestingly listed as second best, and Matt Allen as the third best on ground for the Beagles. Foley had a really nice game, I thought, the week before. He's finished with 14 possessions this week. You know, not, not a barnstorming game in terms of the box score, but... It's interesting for the Beagles, we've touched on the results not being the end of the world, but nothing is really seeming to come together for them as a group, and I would be interested to hear some thoughts from people who are avid waffle watchers as to the reason why, because we've hypothesised perhaps that other waffle clubs will come out and try and give the Eagles their best every week, but they do look a long way off the pace in that waffle tier, so uh, an interesting one to watch certainly going forward, but Miguel, as you said, a few positive signs individually as well. Yeah, um, Jared Cameron had a quiet game, you know, he's... Um, he was an emergency again in the AFL side, so he's uh, the, obviously the match committee's got him pretty clearly in their sights. Um, he only had, he had nine touches and a goal, but seven tackles as well, which was good. Um, just on you know, what you were saying about their form, I think the form sort of dropped when we started to bring more of the top-up guys in. Um, the first two or three weeks, we sort of only had about three of them plus Gray, and you know, now it's sort of like seven or eight. Um, and you know, Dave Boot, another one this week, and, and Sam Lamont. So... You know, nothing against those guys, but I just um, think the disconnect between the AFL squad and, and the Waffle squad, um, the top-up squads, sort of not helping. Uh, and you know, we've, and we've seen in the past as well with the whatever our reserves affiliation has been um, that you know if you're chopping and changing the team all the time and you've got five or six changes a week, then um, it really hurts the continuity of the side, and you see that in the results. So no Waffle game this weekend, unfortunately. Uh, it's bad timing. Yet another poor fixturing there, although I suppose they've done that so we can't just send an AFL team back. But, uh, yeah, so there's no Eagles, no Beagles, uh, but they are in action again the following week. So, yeah, one to watch, and there's certainly a few guys who are pushing for selection, perhaps more so than we've seen in the past few weeks. So certainly something to watch as we enter that Essendon game going forward. I think the fixture's deliberate as well. that The whole team gets a few days off, so they would have asked for that. Oh, true. Very true, yep. And the, the next game coming up is, I think, at East Fremantle Oval. Uh, and if Nat Nui plays, it'll be sort of shades of uh, last year when he made his comeback down there in a practice match. So, um, yeah, that'd be a good one to get along to. Okay, so as we touched on at the start, it wasn't a great beginning to the bye week proceedings, but... The Eagles still sit at eight wins and four losses. They're a game clear in fourth. Uh, the percentage is a bit of a concern, but there is a buffer. We've played some good sides as well. We've played a lot of the other teams that currently sit in the eight. So heading into the bye week, I thought it would be a good opportunity to take stock and reflect on our preseason predictions and maybe project how the rest of the season's going to play out. KK, I'll start with you. And indeed, both of you gentlemen were on the podcast when we did our preseason calls. 
KK, both you and Miguel had the team finishing second and saying that a prelim was pretty much the baseline expectation. Now, given what you've seen in the first 12 weeks, is that something that you still support? You're still expecting this to be a prelim side? Or where do you sit with where the Eagles are going to finish things up towards the end of the year? I think yes to the prelim. I think second spot's probably going to be out of our reach. Although Collins do have a pretty tough run in, in the second half, and we do still have to play them in Perth. So there's an outside chance for top two, but I'd, I'd, I'd revise that prediction downwards. I think as long as we finish top four, we'll make a prelim. For us to miss a prelim from fourth, we'd need to lose a, a final in Perth at some point, and I, I think we're at our best or near our best. We're, we're a step above the teams below us in the ladder at the moment. So I, I'm still expecting a prelim, and yeah, I, I do think we can, if we're in the top four come round 23, I, I think we can beat anyone anywhere if we have to. Now, Miguel, as I said, you also had the team finishing second at a prelim. Uh, I had us fourth with a prelim, but we've all we've all agreed that this club needs to be right on the verge of a grand final to consider this season a success. Is that something that you're still willing to endorse at the bye week? Um, I, I think I said that yeah, we'd make a prelim, and you know, from uh, from the top four, anything can happen um, on any given day. But uh, yeah, as KK said, getting into the top two now. Um, with our percentage is going to be difficult. Um, we do have, on paper at least, a relatively easier run home. And I think we've had, if you just go off ladder positions, I think we've had the toughest draw of any team so far, which is probably fair given that we're the reigning premiers. Um, but, yeah, we, we certainly can't afford probably more than uh, even one would be even one performance like um, the Sydney game would be um, pretty devastating. I think in, in the last ten, um, so we yeah we can't afford really any slip ups. You know we can afford to lose, but just the, the hit that our percentage takes after a, a forty point loss is um, just you know something that we we can't afford at the moment. So yeah, um, long story short, we I still think we'll finish top four. Um, as you said, if we don't make a prelim from there, then we've lost a home final, which is unlikely. So um, yeah, but we might be looking at an away prelim which could be at spotless or the mcg or something who knows but um yeah the, the path to a grand final might be a little bit more difficult now having a little bit of a look individually rather than as at the team as a whole uh we did our pre-season predictions for best and fairest miguel kk you both agreed that shuey was a good chance uh as a bit of a tiebreaker i also made you submit somebody else we'll get to those people in a second but let's just take a moment to drink in my preseason prediction of Jack Darling for best and fairest yep thanks a lot uh, so Miguel you had Hearn as a smoky for best and fairest KK you had Barass now that's a little bit unfair on you KK <laughs> given the injury he'll struggle Miguel you're probably in pole position on that one uh, and we'll stay with you on this who do you think currently is our best and fairest if the season were to end today who do you think's ahead on the count I think Brad Shepard might be. Very difficult to find a bad game that he's had. He's had some absolute ripper games. Um, and, you know, if he's been judged on doing his job, then he should have high votes in most of the 12 games he's had so far. Uh, yeah, he's one that I think would be right up there. Now, if you look at... Uh, typically, the award goes to a midfielder, but the midfield's been fairly inconsistent. Um, you know, Yo's put in some misses before he missed last week. Um, but he had some down performances earlier in the year, and Shuey's been up and down as well. And you know, Gaff obviously missed the first two rounds. So, um, yeah, I'd have Shepard, probably Shepard and Hearn, one and two at the moment. KK, who's in the box seat from where you're sitting? I think uh, Miguel's been a bit modest. I would say Hearn's probably leading at the moment. I think he's 
been the most consistent high-level performer across the games. It's kind of hard to know what the, the coaches and the um, the voters look for internally, isn't it? That like Dom Sheed, for example, his stats have been really fantastic. But I know, you know, Brad, you've you've highlighted a few weaknesses in his game, and they read the head again on the weekend. So if the the coaches are seeing the same thing, then maybe he might not get the votes that you would think he would based purely on his stats. Yeah, so I think I think Hearn's probably the the clear leader at the moment. I'd, I'd be interested to see where um, Liam Ryan comes up. So I think he's been a really consistent performer this year and just been so much more involved in every game than he was, was last year. And clearly doing the role that he has he's been instructed to do was um, being that offensive threat, but really being a good defensive runner as well. So if, if he's ticking the boxes that he's been asked to tick, he can, he's not going to go close to winning it, but he could be a smoky for a sort of top 10 finish. Yeah, he's an interesting one. His um, goal kicking's down on last year. He's only getting, I think, just on a goal a game, but his he's work rate up the ground and his um, forward pressure as well has improved massively. So, yeah, I agree with that, that he's um, yeah, a little bit of a smoky for you know, maybe like a top five finish or something. Yeah, really hard worker as well, and it's the sort of stuff that certainly will never show up in, let's say, a Brownlow count or, you know, it doesn't show up in the, in the box score either. But if you've got the coaches sitting in the coach's box watching him run wing to wing and back again, trying to create an option, trying to present and pressure, uh, yeah, it could be good for a, for a few votes as well. Miguel, I'll throw to you on this one. Your bold call, I asked everybody to make some bold calls for the season, and yours was that Oscar Allen would finish in the top three in the Rising Star. Now, we all acknowledged before the season that uh, Walsh from Carlton probably had the Rising Star Award sewn up before any ball had even been bounced. But top three finish, Oscar Allen. He's been quite good. He's built a little bit of a profile media-wise as well. Do you think he's a chance at finishing there? No, he hasn't even got a nomination yet, which is um, pretty crucial. Uh, and hopefully he gets one before the end of the year. But there's a few guys that have popped their heads up and he's... Uh, he, he's been pretty serviceable in the role he's had. Um, I think he's suffered a little bit by having um, been thrown around into the ruck. Uh, and yeah, I don't think I don't think he'll get any votes in that. You know, Walsh and um, Connor Rosie and uh, trying to think who the others sort of. They really like Stack. I will say he's got the media profile to you know oh, a few okay. votes here or there as well. He comes up in every article all over the joint. So yeah, and uh, Taron Thomas, a couple of the North guys have been pretty good actually. So yeah, um, I I don't think he'll even I don't think he'll even get a vote in the Rising Star. Um, but hopefully he gets a nomination for us. I'm not sure how the voting works in terms of specifically who is on the panel, but Oscar Allen is building a little bit more of a profile than I would have thought, given the amount of games he's played and the club that he plays for. So uh, I don't know. If you, I'm not sure who's on the panel, as I said, but if Jonathan Brown's on there or you know these sorts of guys, you might see a little bit of a key forward resurgence and maybe a vote thrown his way. But uh, all right, well, we'll put a cross through that one. We can also put a cross through my Eagles prediction, which was... Doubling down, Jack Daly to make All-Australian. So, yep, thanks very much, guys. I've really been stitched up on that one. Another bold prediction that I made was that Melbourne will be the most disappointing team. Now, I did say they'd make finals, but comfortably, I'm happy to say that Melbourne have been the most disappointing team thus far, and I bloody love it. Yeah, that's good. So I'm ha- really happy with that one. Now, KK, another asterisk next to you. Barass for All-Australian. Now, this is a difficult one because he was playing some good footy before he went down. He's obviously missed way too long. But sitting round one, Alex Rance went down in the first game of the season, and I thought, well, a spot might have just opened up there. So, look, Barras was on track. What did you make of his first few games before he went down? And also, given that he's coming back pretty shortly, how do you think it changes the dynamic of the side having him in? Yeah, I think he, he probably wasn't on the All-Australian radar even before he got injured, though he was doing 
a good job for us. Um, I think he's he's a massive in down the back. I think he's uh, he can sort of play not not to the McGovern standard of intercept marking, but his his marking is is very good. He certainly uh, appreciates so Schofield in that in that area that Schofield's very good at halving contests, whereas Barras is much better at actually winning the contest. So I think he's going to make a big difference and. Just with his, his size and the, the, the types of plays he can play on gives us a lot more, more options down there. Um, we saw on the weekend we were kind of a bit hamstrung with who we, we wanted to put on Franklin and Reed just because we had limited options. So Barras gives us a lot more more flexibility. Yeah, I hope he comes back fit and doesn't have a, a recurrence. So I've jinxed him once, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> No, we're done with the jinxes on the podcast. We all know that the club listen to this and they love it, but none of it jinxes anything that they do. So uh, we'll bury that one, and hopefully we see TB back pretty shortly. Look, KK, I'll say with you on this one as well, we've, we've looked back now at our predictions and how they've gone so far. Looking forward, uh, for the rest of the season, what do you think is your biggest concern for the Eagles in, in the final 10 games that remain in their schedule? I think the biggest concern is probably the next two weeks that... Our percentage is not great. We've probably lost, um, racked up more games in the loss column than I would have liked at this point. And Essendon coming up, they very similar fixes to last year, and they absolutely did us like a dinner. And then we've got Hawthorne the MCG the week after, so another favourite bogey fixture there. So my, my concern is that we could we could drop both of those games, and then. Top four is really looking like a stretch. You'd almost have to run the table from there till the end of the year. So um, if we can get through, I should say three weeks, actually, next two games, because we've got the bye, obviously. So, yeah, they're, they're my concern. I'm, I'm very worried about the next two games. Miguel, for you, what's your biggest concern for the club as they try and navigate the back end of the season? Yeah, probably just looking at it, that next sort of stretch of four games, the two that KK mentioned, and then we've got the away derby um, and Collingwood at um, at home as well, and yeah, that'll. Um, we were pretty lucky to beat the Dockers the first time around. Um, Collingwood, obviously, we've you know they'll be looking for blood. Given we beat them, uh, we've beaten them twice at the MCG, three times actually at the MCG in the past few months. So, and you know, that that'll be a true eight point game as well. So, yeah, that's a, a pretty difficult little run coming up, and then we've got um, Melbourne in, in Alice Springs as well. So. Uh, yeah, I did say we had one of the easier draws coming home, but certainly the next little bit of it is looking quite dicey. Uh, Essendon, on paper, obviously should be a win, but you know, that's um, that's proven to be a danger game for us in the past. And uh, yeah, for what, whatever reason, we don't play well coming out of the bye. So yeah, um, most worrying part is coming straight up. Well, that's uh, pretty overwhelmingly negative. A nice stressful month ahead. And can't just sit and relax during the bye week. We've got to uh, stress out about the next round of fixtures. So we'll flip it on its head. KK, what is your biggest reason for optimism for the Eagles on the back end of the year? Uh, we we don't have any season-ending injuries yet, touch wood. Everyone who's missing at the moment should be back by the end of the year. So optimistic that we can have our best 22 or very close to it on the park at the business end of the season and I think with that then we're, we're as good as anyone so so fingers crossed that we don't get any more injuries and Nat Nui and Barras come back and, and find and find form in time for the finals but yeah we're in, we're in a better position injury wise than a few of the other teams are and that's probably uh, optimistic for us. 
Agree with that, Miguel? Any other causes for optimism as we look down the stretch? Uh, the introduction of Nat Nui is um, obviously a, a big cause for optimism. We're, as long as we don't sort of expect him to cause all uh, to fix all our issues, then um, yeah, that you know, it'd be great to get him back. Um, as KK said, you know, we'll be getting some of the cavalry back, you know, Barras eventually, and uh, hopefully Hearn and Yo are available, uh, and Allen are available straight away. Um, get a few more games into Rioli, uh, although he'll be missing the Essendon game, obviously. But you know, he's, he's building after his interrupted preseason, uh, and um, of the, the remaining games, six of them are at home. Well, one's an away derby, but six of them are at Optus, uh, and we don't have any sort of hoodoo grounds like the SCG or Cadinia Park or Bell Reeve to play at. So um, we've got a couple at the MCG, which uh, we've hopefully buried all our issues there. Uh, and Carlton at Docklands doesn't look too bad, and um, Melbourne at Traeger Park will be logistically difficult, but you know, they're not travelling too well at the moment. So, yeah, certainly the draw's not too bad, um, but, yeah, just a few danger games early up. Yeah, hopefully we uh, we sort of find the form that we had a couple of weeks ago and um, and get some soldiers back. Well, I think that'll probably do us for this week. Uh, and look, we're obviously heading into the bye week, so no previews or anything of the sort. We don't have an official injury report from the club yet. So, you know, we've been through the Sydney game. Unfortunately, that one didn't break the right way for us. But a few reasons to be optimistic looking down the track. And, and as Miguel has touched on, and indeed KK, we should be getting a few troops back pretty shortly. Uh, so, gents, quick one tonight, but that's very good as always. Thanks for coming back on the pod. KK, fantastic to have you on. Thanks for having us. Um, enjoy the week off, put our feet up and forget about the Eagles for a minute. Yeah, a little time away never did anybody any harm. Speaking of time away from the Eagles, Miguel, still not on big footy, I see, but uh, always present on the podcast, which we truly appreciate. So thank you for coming back on this week. Yeah, no worries. I'm still hanging around. Um, haven't had the sort of quiet retirement that I was hoping for, but yeah, never mind. <laughs> I'm always glad to be a part of it. Just when they think you're out, I pull you back in. Always good. No, well, thanks as always for listening as well. And uh, next week, given that we've got no game to recap, I think we'll really be leaning on some questions as well. So be sure to chuck those in the thread and hopefully we can answer a fair few of those next week as well as previewing the Essendon game post-buy. But let's all put our feet up and relax and enjoy the week off like KK has just said and take a little bit of a breather from the Eagles. That'll do us for this week. Thanks as always for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. See ya.